Open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 12. This is our last sermon on Exodus 12. And we'll look next week at Exodus 13 and the consecration of the firstborn. Exodus 12, 43. A little bit of legal material here inside the narrative. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No outsider shall eat it. But every man's servant who is bought for money when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger sojourns with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Thus the children of Israel did. As the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to understand the seven laws of Passover and to apply these carefully in our own lives. Father, we thank you for the inclusiveness of your covenant and the exclusiveness as well. Thank you that they are perfectly presented, balanced, and harmonious with each other. Father, help us to hear your word, and to keep it. Thank you for the Passover and the law of the Passover. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I count seven laws here. Some commentators, others say there's actually more than seven laws. But there, depending on how you break it up, it's clearly... However you want to break it up, I should say, there's a title at the beginning. This is the law of the Passover. God says, here is the basic rule about Passover. This is not how to celebrate it. We already looked at that. Selecting the lamb, killing the lamb, eating the lamb, having your friends come and join you if the lamb is too big, and so on. This is strictly about who can eat the Passover. And it's almost as though God states it seven different ways in order to get the point across. The point is obvious. The circumcised can eat it. The uncircumcised may not eat it. And you can confuse that with a bunch of issues. Well, he lives in Israel. Well, he's a hired worker in Israel. Well, he's an Israelite. He was born here. He was not born here These things fly back and forth. Moses, God, lays it all out around the central principle. You must be circumcised to eat the Passover. If you're uncircumcised, you may not eat the Passover. So the circumcision is the biggie here. But then at the center, the fourth law, We also see that this meal is a meal of unity. 
There's three axes of unity, whole house, whole boundary, whole skeleton, plus a fourth axis of unity, whole congregation. You can't exclude people. You must include everyone whom God includes, and everyone whom God includes is every circumcised person. Israelite, Amalekite, Moabite, doesn't matter. They're included. But if you won't be circumcised, you're not included. Even if you are a native-born Israelite citizen. So let's just look at these kind of one by one. First law, verse 43, no foreigner shall eat it. Start off with this and you think, oh, this is about ethnicity. This meal is for born Jewish descendants of Abraham. But as the rest of the passage makes clear in addressing people born outside the land, people working in the land, people coming in from outside and getting circumcised. The line between foreignness and nativehood is not genetic. It's not about your pedigree, your place of birth, your country of origin, your ethnicity. And, right, for very good reasons. Not only because God understands, God made us all as one race. God knows that those things, where you came from, gets complicated really fast. One of my friends, his mother was born in Taiwan, his father was born in Boston. He was at a restaurant one day with his family, and the people at the table next to them said, came up to them and said, are you Asian or Chinese? (laughs) Well, I guess if you put it that way, they said, we're Asian. We were all born in the United States, all but our mom. We're as, as American as you are, but we're not from the Republic of China or the People's Republic of China, and therefore we are Asian, I guess. But God doesn't say no Asian shall eat of it, no Egyptian shall eat of it, no foreigner shall eat of it, and by foreigner he goes on to describe exactly what he means by foreigner. For instance, verse 44, every man's slave who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, he may eat it. So the distinction that's relevant here is, are you part of the people of God or not part of the people of God? If you are a slave, you can eat it. Class distinctions have no place at the Lord's table, at the Passover meal. And, obviously, Israel was forbidden to buy other Israelites for money. We'll get to that later on in Exodus. But God says, if you own a slave, he gets to eat the Passover, provided that he's been circumcised. Circumcision is the right from Genesis 17, removal of the foreskin. We've talked about that. Marked you out as belonging to the people of God. And so whatever your social class, rich, poor, slave, free, doesn't matter. You're welcome to the table if you're circumcised. 
But notice this, verse 45, a sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. What's a sojourner? Well, somebody who is temporarily resident in the land, but is planning at some point to move back to their original place. Same with a hired servant. Somebody who was born elsewhere, that you are paying a wage to do a job, maybe for a very long time, but who maintains their identity, their status as something other than Israelite. Some of my father's hired men are from Mexico and have worked for him steadily since the mid-1970s. Coming up on 50 years. But insofar, to use the terms of this, as they continue to say, I'm from Mexico, I'm a Mexican, I'm not circumcised, I'm not part of the people of God, if we can conflate the two eras, then they would not be eligible. Not because they're from Mexico, but because they haven't accepted circumcision. Now obviously, you can ask your slaves to be circumcised in a way that you can't ask your employees to be circumcised. And in fact, a number of these commands presuppose this household thing. Every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, not when he has volunteered to be circumcised, not when he decides that it's time, but when you decide that it's time. And then verse 48 says the same thing. When a stranger sojourns with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. The perspective taken here and in several commands throughout the book is that you're addressing a householder, or that God is addressing a householder, somebody who maintains a large establishment with not just his wife and children, but also with hired employees, slaves, and other estate personnel, guests, people who are all part of the household in some sense. The fourth commandment, kind of spells it out the most clearly. So, turning ahead to chapter 20, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Now, a command of the individual stops there. But a command of the householder continues with this. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Anybody who is attached to your household, your children, your guests, your animals, the Sabbath day is for them all, and you as the householder are being addressed as the one who has the responsibility to make that Sabbath a reality. Well, so it is here with the Passover. The Passover is a household event. It's eaten in a private home, and therefore it is the responsibility of the householder to make this meal happen. And the criterion here is circumcise the men who belong to you. If you have a son, circumcise him. If you buy a slave, circumcise him. 
Now, this doesn't mention the guests exactly, but it does, really. Verse 48, when a stranger sojourns with you and wants to keep the Passover, let all his males be circumcised. You have to tell your guests that. Seems like it could be a little awkward. Well, we've got this big celebration coming up next week. Looks like you guys are still going to be here. But there's something you need to know. But God is not shy about that. Moses is not shy about it. Well, there's three axes of unity. If we go back to verse 46, in one house it shall be eaten. Why in one house? Well, the obvious answer is that God the destroyer, Yahweh the destroyer, is outside ready to kill anyone who comes out from under the protection of the Lamb's blood. So don't leave the house. But the second reason is that it's a meal of togetherness. It's for the whole household in their home. You don't want anyone to be missing. You don't want someone to rush out halfway through the meal. Then kind of destroys the idea of family meal. This is a meal of togetherness highlighted in a second way by saying don't carry any of the meal, don't carry any of the flesh outside the house. On on the face of it, that's a strange prohibition. I've never been to a meal where somebody picked up something off the table and rushed it out to the front porch or down the sidewalk. What is God talking about? It's hard to escape the conclusion that he's addressing superstitious-minded Israelites who would be tempted to turn this into some kind of talisman, good luck charm, or protective amulet. Just as in Bram Stoker's 19th century vampire novel, Abraham Van Helsing carries the consecrated host with which to repel the undead, So it almost seems like God foresaw that 2,500 years earlier and said, no, you are not going to keep a chunk of this lamb and carry it around with you to repel the desert demons. That is not how this works. Don't carry it outside the house. And all the material in the Westminster Confession about eating together, no private masses, no celebrating this alone, Don't serve it to yourself at home by yourself is an attempt to be faithful to this. Don't take any of it outside the house. It's a meal of unity. And when you start breaking it up and carrying it here and there to this and that for this purpose and the other purpose, you've lost the whole idea, which is that we sit together and we eat together as the one people of God. The third axis of unity, don't break any of its bones. You can kill the animal, but you may not break any of its bones. Quadrupeds don't have a wishbone, but there's no breaking the wishbone at this meal. This is fulfilled at the crucifixion when Jesus' legs are not broken by the soldiers. Because it says, don't break any of its legs. Don't break any of its bones. It's a foretaste, a preview, a type of Jesus, the coming Passover lamb, who would be 
unbroken for our sakes. Of course, he says, this is my body broken for you. Though his body is broken, his bones are not broken. Moses puts this Passover regulation in many centuries before as an axis of unity. Don't tear the Passover meal apart. You have one animal and you eat the one animal in one household and you invite as many people in as you need to eat that whole animal within that house in one meal. Don't save it. Don't take it away. Don't ship it off to the poor. That's not what it's for. It's a meal of unity. And finally, of course, the fourth axis of unity, verse 47, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. In various households, there's no way to take two million people and set them all down at one table to keep this Passover, but it's a meal that everyone celebrates. It's a meal that saves all of Israel, protecting them from the destroyer, and thus it's a meal that all of Israel has to eat, with the corollary then that no one outside Israel may eat of it. It's the meal of the people of God. All God's people are included. Everyone who's not God's person is held at bay. So that goes even for those temporarily residing in Israel, those who live next to God's people, work for God's people, cooperate with God's people on various projects, but if they're not circumcised, if they have not fully become God's people, they're not to eat it. Even if they live in the same household as a slave, if they're not circumcised, it's not a meal for them. But any stranger may eat as long as he gets circumcised, proving that strangerhood is defined not genetically, but strictly in terms of, well, sacramentally. When a stranger sojourns with you, let his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land. Not a second-class citizen, not a lesser celebrant of Passover, not somebody whose status we're not really sure about. Well, I don't know. He's an Egyptian here at the table. I guess we might be okay. No, if he's circumcised, he's welcome. God welcomes people by households. That's what the law of the Passover says. Now, yes, God saves individuals. Thank God. But his favorite way of working is along the branches of family trees. Now this family approach, this household approach, is definitely foreign to our individualistic sensibilities. It's gotten me in trouble with guests. I say, well, this is our house. The fourth commandment says we keep the Sabbath. This is our house. We read the Bible together after dinner. So you're here. Do it with us. But that is what certainly the book of Exodus reflects. The whole household comes before God. The household participates in this meal. 
So any foreigner who wants to profess allegiance to Israel's God has just one barrier to cross. He doesn't have to change his skin color. He doesn't have to change his eye color. He doesn't have to change his hairstyle. He doesn't have to change his culture or his socioeconomic status. God doesn't demand that the poor become rich, that the slaves become free. You're welcome on one condition. You and the males of your household get circumcised. Go under the knife that tells you the promise of God that a Redeemer is coming through the line of Abraham and that establishes you as a member of God's covenant. So again, it winds up, no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law for the native-born and for the stranger who sojourns among you. You have to be circumcised. You have to maintain the unity of the congregation, the household, and the meal. That's the law of Passover. So these rules still apply in the transformed Passover, which is the Lord's Supper. The context is different. The household in which we celebrate is now the household of faith. We get together with brothers and sisters in the household of our Father, and we eat at His table. So what do the seven laws of Passover boil down to? The New Testament says virtually nothing about the circumcision qualification. So theologians of all stripes across every branch of the church have understood that what this means for the New Covenant is you must be baptized before you partake of the Lord's Supper. If you have one takeaway, baptism comes before communion. If you want to eat this meal, again, it's for people of any color, any national background, any socioeconomic status. Everyone is welcome at God's table, provided they've been baptized and thereby committed their allegiance to Jesus, become part of the people of God. Communion's about the unity of the body. One loaf, one cup, one congregation. The whole congregation partakes And that congregation is determined by the question of who has been baptized, who's marked out as belonging to the people of God. So if you're baptized, come to the table. If you're not baptized, you're welcome to get baptized, but until you are baptized, this meal is the Father's meal. It's served in the Father's household. It's not our table, it's the Lord's table. And therefore you need to belong to the Father's household to partake of the meal. As you partake of the meal, you pray for and you enact the unity of the body. That unity is built on the truth that all of us were delivered from Egypt. That God saved us all from the depravity and sin of our past lives. It's built on the truth that all of us have been delivered from the wrath of God. That He saved us from the penalty that was due to us for our sins. So in that unity, we eat. 
This is the law of the Passover. The baptized may eat of it. And if you're not baptized, get baptized and eat. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the seven laws of Passover. We ask that you would help us to believe this, to practice this, to know this. Help us to remember our baptism. To live in light of the fact that the washing with water has been applied to us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that we are thereby put on the hook to keep the whole law. To live our lives in dedication to you and obedience to you. Father, help us to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. To pray for it and enact the unity of the body as we eat together tonight and week by week. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to the Lord's table. Again, not the local church's table, but the Lord's table. At which we eat this meal that the Father has provided for us. That's why Jesus took bread, blessed it. He thanked God for it because he didn't make the bread, he received it from his Father. Which is incidentally why we try to make a habit of thanking God before our meals. To say, I didn't make this food, this is from God. Jesus blessed the bread, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So we have one loaf. Christ took the bread and broke it. He took the wine and poured it out. Well, come and take the elements back to your seats. We'll partake together. This is my body.
Father, we thank you for this bread given to us by your Son as a token of us receiving and accepting and feeding upon him. Lord, help us to do that. Thank you for our baptism. Thank you for our welcome at your table as your people. We cannot begin to praise you enough for what your Son has done dying in our place to save us, letting his body be broken, not his bones, but his body, so that we could live. Thank you for the blessing that you've commanded here of life forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. All of you, drink it. Father, we praise you that your son poured out his life. We thank you for the blood of the covenant by which Israel of old was sanctified and the blood of your perfect eternal son by which Israel was actually sanctified, by which we have truly been sanctified. Help us, therefore, to be sanctified, to enact that holiness by living for you, walking in unity with one another, keeping the laws of Passover. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing hymn number 431. A parting hymn we sing, all about sitting around God's table and rejoicing in what He's given us. himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen. Let's sing the Gloria Patri.